unless we're fairly familiar with the Old Testament, what Jesus is referring to with David is fairly obscure, although it did make the, the cut for the Chosen series so far uh, in the second series, but they, they showed it in, of course, flashback as David is hungry and he comes in and do you have any bread? Oh, the only bread we have is the show bread, the bread that sat before the Ark of the Covenant uh, as a reminder of God's providence and God's care. That, that bread would, would be switched out, uh, I think it was every day or every week, one of the two, and only the priests would, allow, would be allowed to eat and only the priests who had kept themselves pure were allowed to eat. And so the priest said, well, this is all we have, take it. And, uh, and, and I, re I remember very clearly as we were studying the Gospel of Mark, uh, the, uh, uh, Father John Eckert was the teacher, and he said, do you suppose that Jesus, as soon as the, uh, the Pharisees were out of earshot, come on, guys, you've got to be better than this. Don't go, you know, when they're watching you, don't be doing something. But it was a very nonchalant kind of moment for them. They probably weren't even thinking about it being Sabbath. Probably, you know, maybe one or two or maybe had some, some background in agriculture. And I'm sure if you talk to a farmer, what's the th number one thing they're going to do if they're out in the field and the grain is almost ready to, to be harvested is they're going to test it. They're, you know, if it's wheat, I've, I've seen it. I went out with a, with a farmer uh, a number of years ago with, along with a religious sister. We were gathering some wheat for one of the displays she wanted to do, and, and he just nonchalantly bent down, rubbed, his hands, rubbed it in his hands, and just tasted it. You know, it just happens. It wasn't even that they were hungry, maybe. Maybe they were hungry enough. But it just happens, and Jesus uses this. But my, my mind really goes to today's first reading, and it's a reading that we don't have all that often. And, of course, we, we hear, hear about these sons of Jesse that are brought. First, Samuel's kind of mourning, after all, he was the one who was, who had a, uh, was asked to anoint Saul, and Saul got rejected by the Lord because of some of his ways, some of his deeds. And... Now the people want a king, so who's going to be king? And of course Saul doesn't quite know that he's been uh, rejected yet and all this stuff. So it's, he's walking into a, a political landmine, perhaps, is, is the best way of, of putting it. Now, how do I avoid having Saul find out what I'm really doing? Well, cover it up with the sacrifice. You have to admit God is kind of funny that way. He didn't need our sacrifice, so perhaps that's how we justify that. But as each person comes, each son of Jesse comes before, ah, oh, this is the one. No, that's not the one. Ah, <laughs> oh, this is the one. And we, we might laugh if we remember that Saul stood head and shoulders above the rest. He was, he was part of what attracted Samuel to Saul, and of course it was God who, who said this, but part of, part of what got uh, Samuel's eye in the first place was that Saul was tall and he was handsome. And now, you know, as all these uh, young men come before Samuel, he's, oh, this, this is obviously the one. No, not the one. And then there's David. And David is called a young man, so maybe he was 13 or 14 at, the, at this point in his, his life. But being ruddy and, and handsome is not necessarily the same thing as being uh, head and shoulders above the rest or whatever. But God does not judge, as we hear, on appearance. And... I know I can say this for myself, thank God, because I might not have been chosen. 
Not that I'm ugly, but, uh, but God does not choose on appearance. And even, even David, even though he was handsome, it was not because of his handsomeness, not because of his youth, not because of his ruddiness, not because of any external quality he had, but rather because of his heart. And yes, we know what happens later on. We'll hear, I believe, in this cycle, uh, uh, we, we hear what happens, the whole episode with Bathsheba putting her husband to death, uh, by by trickery, having having uh, him in battle and pulling away, and so that he dies, so he can cover up his, his crime of adultery. So let's keep counting the sins, you know, and and time and again, these things. But he always comes back to the Lord, and that's his heart. That he keeps coming back to the Lord. Saul doesn't. And what struck me yesterday with the reading is, is Samuel is saying, uh, uh, if I, I don't remember the exact thing, but he basically Samuel says divination is to be condemned. And what does Saul do after Samuel dies? Necromancy. He calls, calls Samuel up and has Samuel appear to him after death. This is necromancy. This is divination in the word. And Saul doesn't even repent for it. But David does. And I think there is our, our hope, and that's why uh, we can say David is a man after God's own heart, because God wants our repentance. He wants us. He has, God, as God, he, he's always perfect, and he, he never strays from us, but we stray from him. And like, like David, God, knowing all this, knowing that David was going to be able to come back time and time and time again, not that he was perfect. He sinned, but he understood that God is Savior. And he understood, as we hear in the psalm, that God is merciful and forgives. That's the heart of David. That's the heart that I think God wants from, from all of us. Like I said, thank God it's not on looks because they change. If you, there's all sorts of things that you can find and, and, you know, how looks change and how the standards of beauty are different throughout the world and all those things. But the goodness of our hearts is common to all of us. A heart that seeks repentance, a heart that seeks forgiveness, a heart that seeks the Lord, the heart that, that is generous and kind and merciful, the heart that God wants.